to this week's episode of Latchkey Movies, the podcast where we take a critical look at the movies your kids are watching without your supervision. Today, we're going to talk about the 1988 Disney film Oliver and Company. My name is Sarah. I am the mom of a six-year-old boy. I am Briar Harvey. I am the mom of the adult elephant. You're going to hear a rumbling across the floor for a few more minutes, apparently. <laughs> and also a 10-year-old boy and a 4-year-old boy. I got to say, all of them loved this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a hit in my house, too. My son I... is, like, obsessed with cats, though. So, like, he was, like, all in from the beginning. We're, we're going to be getting cats soon. So well, good luck this, with that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We decided... We, we've had cats in the past, and, like, there is never a good time to get new animals, so I'm like, all right, whatever. We had a friend of my husband's, a co-worker unexpectedly had kittens. Mm-hmm. I say unexpectedly as though that's not what happens when you don't get your animals fixed. But I digress. And so now we are going to be getting kittens. And I said, well, we have to get two because I do not have the mental wherewithal to be the sole... Because I'm mm-hmm. home all the time. Mm-hmm. If I am home all the time, I am... The default parent, which, whatever. But I'm also the default pet parent, too. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I can't can't handle a new Mm -hmm. kitten right now. So we have to get two so that they have somebody to play with. I, we had two cats. And while they were good with each other, it was the best decision we had ever made. Because of that reason, like, you didn't have to, like make sure that they were entertained so that they wouldn't be destructive. Uh But then, I don't know, something happened and our boy cat flipped out on our girl cat and, like, got super aggressive and, like, territorial. I remember you had to rehome her, which is And made her life like a living hell. So we had to... Luckily, we have a good friend who had had two cats previously and one cat had recently passed away. So, like, they... He was looking for another cat. We were looking to, like rehome our cat and it worked out really well and she's with somebody we know and we get updates from on her and stuff but now our boy cat we kept because like we're not going to give away the troublesome cat you know like i'm not going to be like here take my cat that's a giant pain in the ass but i know he's a giant pain in the ass for you guys i I do know yeah Yeah, he's a giant pain in the ass he's vindictive So, but I mean, that's partially on us. The diary, keeping notes of incarceration, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, except he's like big and dumb, so he's probably just drawing stick figures. (laughs) 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 But yeah, and I mean, a lot of that's on us too. We have to just be like extra on top of like making sure he's happy so he doesn't get vindictive and destructive because cats are little assholes. That's what it comes down to. That's really what it comes down to. I but love he's them. so soft. Yeah, see? <laughs> and they make such... The purring, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's been it's been a few years since we've had a cat, and I miss being purred at yeah. tremendously. 
So one of we had previously had a cat and she got old and died and she was um, like a tortoise shell. So they're apparently known for like being talkative. Mm-hmm. And that's the only cat I had ever had. That was the first cat I had ever had. But I'm like, I can't have a cat that doesn't talk to me now. Like I, le- I need a cat that's going to talk to me because like I'm going to talk to the cat and I need the cat to talk back to me. So <laughs> he talks up a storm and I'm like, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> <laughs> so, so really cats. what we want you to take away from this movie first and foremost is please spare neuter your pets. <laughs> yes, please. Please, just Bob Barker us. Spay and neuter your pets. Well, um, the whole way through. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, everything about this movie is... is oh, yeah, is like, that, literally. Right? I'm, I'm not kidding. What we want you to take away is please spare or neuter your pets because, my God, these animals. All right, <laughs> let's get into it. So this movie was pre-Academy Award for animated <laughs> film. Um, it is 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it wouldn't have won the Academy Award, no. even if it had been nominated. Let's be very, very clear about that. No, it was released at the same time. Oh, what was it? Um, well, they re-released the it. The Land Time. Oh, yeah. It came okay. out the same weekend, y'all, mm-hmm. as The Land Before Time. And I know it's Disney, but that's Brass Balls. Mm-hmm. That's, that's well, Eisner and Katzenberg Brass Balls of... We're not competing with anybody. But do you think they, like, I guess we'll have to go into it someday when we eventually cover The Land Before Time, but do you think that that was, like, no, that was expected to be a hit, or do you think that was, like, a surprise hit? Oh, no. I think Land Before Time was expected yeah. to be a hit. Okay. I think even, even though it was... <clears throat> I mean, there was obviously a lot of bad blood. Yeah. At this point. So, in time. so much bad blood that Disney released it the same weekend as Land Before Time. It got trounced by Land Before Time in the in the um, theaters or at the box office. When Bluth released, I don't know if he's, it was considered a Bluth film at the time. Land, uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven 2, when it was released, Uh (laughs) they re released Oliver and Company the same weekend to compete with it. Like, that's. That's <laughs> that's some amount well, of uh, ballsy, I guess. And remember, that... <laughs> Land Before Time was in partnership with both Spielberg and yeah. Amblin. Was Land Before Time Spielberg and Amblin, or was that just yes. uh, okay? Yeah, American Tale. Yeah. Okay. Now, we'll, both... we'll go all into that someday when we talk about yeah. Land Before Time. Okay. But just know that that's like the state of the world the day that For this movie. This movie. Yes. So, um, obviously, it's Oliver Twist. <laughs> With dogs. Yeah. Now, we talked about it a little bit in Treasure Planet, how it came to be at the Gong Show. I don't think we need to rehash that. But I'll just say, it's not even really... Oliver Twist with no, dogs, y'all. It's not. <laughs> um, Where's the Oliver... or may I have another? Exactly. I, I mean, I'm not entirely familiar with Oliver Twist, but doesn't it focus more on, like, a group of orphans and then the Dodger is, like, their leader? Mm-hmm. The artful Dodger? Um, yeah, that's not really what happens here. I mean, no. it, it totally could have. So, like, why did they go the route they did? Maybe because they really wanted to, like, stack the cast and they can't do that if it's all kids. 
So, let's talk about the cast a little bit because this... before we start, before we get deep into the cast, I have to tell you, I ha- I I think we've talked about this before. I have watched this movie more than once. I am entirely aware of the fact that Billy Joel plays Dodger. Like, I'm 100% aware of that fact. But even while I'm watching the movie, I'm in my head thinking and hoping and wishing that it was Bruce Willis instead. (laughs) I just, Bruce Willis seems like such a better choice. The only thing I have that I could say that Billy Joel has going for him against Bruce Willis is that is a singing uh, voice? No, is that he's like notably from New York. Well, that because that Bruce too. Willis sings too. He does. <laughs> I would argue objectively, <laughs> probably not as good as Billy Joel. Yeah. But it's only Billy Joel only has one song in this movie. But he only has the one song. It's not so like he could have just it's not done like it's the singing. Jam-packed. They could have given uh, now exactly. He could have just been the singing voice. Why did they cast him as the speaking voice? Like well, has Billy Joel ever acted? <laughs> We've not done over the hedge yet. It's just mm-hmm. somehow missed our list continually, which blows my mind. But I actually think Bruce is a banging voice actor. And this character is like, this is a Bruce Willis character. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> so, was... I and I can't, and it's not even like me being like a stubborn, like I've fan casted this. No. It's literally, I can't, my brain will not accept that it's Billy Joel <laughs> and insists that it is Bruce Willis instead. So, just so you know, that's where I okay. am. Okay. <laughs> The rest of the cast, Joey Lawrence as Oliver, he must have been pretty young here. Yeah, I mean, he's so our 88. age. So I, so he, he's older than us. He was born in seventy six, so he would have oh, been. Oh, he's a little bit older than us. Like twelve. Okay. When this was recorded. Okay, we did a passably acceptable job, I think. Yeah, I mean, as a kid, so. The cast itself is solid, right? Yeah, and I mean, it's they de- definitely packed this cast. Bette Midler, Don DeLuise, Roscoe Lee Brown, who we also saw in Treasure Planet as Mr. Arrow. Like, it's, 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 the rest of it's fairly notable 80s actors, but still... Richard Mulligan, I think it's hilarious that he played the Great Dane because he is probably most notably known for playing Herman Munster in The Munsters. And he's like a big guy, but like they had him in like lifts and stuff because he was essentially playing Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Um, which So they put him and they made him a Great Dane and I think that's And they hilarious. made him a Great Dane. I know. <laughs> I know. No, I honestly, it was a great cast, great performance fantastic singing I, I mean i have to like we need to add a new scale here down at the bottom did was was there enough singing for sarah yeah this was a good one for singing <laughs> see say, i knew this one was it. actually gonna pass muster <laughs> there was um, enough singing for sarah i'm literally gonna be adding that to the show notes now i want you to know that <laughs> It's going to go right over Briar's blubberability scale. Was there enough singing for Sarah? So, 
in addition to like the people that they cast, I need to talk about the character design for these characters. And I need to specifically point out Bill Sykes, who is like the human leader of the Dobermans, like the bad guy, right? Right. Okay. We're watching the movie and my husband's like, oh my God, he looks just like Chuck Schumer. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and I say that as like a New York State Democrat. He looks like Chuck Schumer. And I can't. I'm never going to be able to unsee this now. I can't unsee it. It's the glass. He's got like the half glasses. Yep. And like, it's yep. Chuck Schumer. Oh my God. I'm never going to be able to unsee that now. <laughs> it's just, it, it is. So I just had to point that one out. Um, I can specifically, as a kid, remember the scene where the poodle, the Bette Midler character, is getting ready and she's putting the makeup on her face and she just smears the eyeshadow on. Like that, for whatever reason, that like stuck with, stuck you? with me as a child. But additionally, like I don't really have a strong memory of this movie as Mm-mm. a kid. So I would have been like six or seven when this movie came out. And um, so I was trying to explain this to my husband as we were watching it. So I don't have a strong memory of this movie. So like the feelings that I get from this movie aren't because of the movie. This movie evokes like a very specific point in time for me because of the animation style and the music style. Like it is like a warm fuzzy blanket that brings me back to my childhood. Well, and I think, so it wasn't deliberate, But the thing of that is, is that when this movie was released in 1988, they never released it on VHS. Mm -hmm. They didn't release it on VHS until 1996. Which is insane to me. When they re-ran it for Oliver and Company 2. Yeah. I don't understand why Disney did that with so many movies. And I, you know, there's a certain amount of explanation that can go and say that that's why we've lost a lot of these Disney movies. Mm -hmm. Because we didn't have the opportunity for this movie to become a movie that we watched as a kid endlessly. Like, you know, we talk about that all the time, about how our kids will, like, latch onto a movie and watch it endlessly. Well, if this we isn't on VHS... We didn't get to do that with these. How could you... You couldn't. You couldn't. Not if they're not released. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand why Disney did that. I'm sure they well, had a reason. If I had to posit a guess, Sarah, I'd say it's eyes and... It, it, I have... I think it's it's because back then it was more common for movies to eventually be re-released in theaters because you just didn't have the slate of movies going into theaters, so there was more room for something like that. So I guess they expected getting away from that. I mean, it was the eighties, so like home video rental was like huge in the eighties. Huge, huge. So yeah, they just didn't fall back to it's Eisen and Katzenberg who said, no, we didn't like it. It didn't do well enough to bother with VHS production, which they said about everything that was on Mm -hmm. uh, animated because they hated it. Right. Uh, All right. So obviously 
There are no fucking parents in this movie. No, like, notably no parents. Literally, notably, they are away in Europe. This movie has the exact same thing in it that happens in Troop Beverly Hills, which I think came out around the same time. Let me check on that. That was a 1989 movie. So in this movie and that movie, you get very rich parents who are away for their only child's birthday. What? What? I, I was that a thing? People was that a thing? <laughs> like for rich people, that was my reaction too. Without their kids, and 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 they notified her. I mean, I, I realize it's eighty eight, but we still had fucking phones. They right. notified her by telegram. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. oh, we're staying in Europe for a while. Sorry, we'll miss your birthday. Yeah. Fuck you, mom and dad. Yeah, and the same thing happens in True Beverly Hills. I don't understand. (laughs) Or was that just their tropey way of showing, like, rich parents who can't care about their kids? So, (laughs) if I had to guess, it's their tropey way of saying rich parents who don't care. I felt like there were a lot of very lazy tropes in this film to indicate characterization and i thought the same thing of dodger like his his first act is to wolf whistle literally a girl (laughs) dog yeah and make lewd commentary so Uh we're supposed to know from that what kind of character he is yeah yeah or like and with the portrayal of portrayal of tito i'm like is is this offensive or Cheech Marin's voicing the character? So like, so is it offensive? Is it okay? I don't know. <laughs> is this like, is this the Taco Bell dog or not? I can't really tell. I don't I know. Mean, it's not for me to decide. I guess. It's no, no. You know, and. I, I don't know that that's for anybody to decide, although in general I find Hispanic communities to be much more laid back about this sort of thing. They uh-huh. liked the Taco Bell dog. Okay. <laughs> All of my Hispanic family and friends loved the damn Taco Bell dog and were very sorry <laughs> to see it go. So, I racist, I guess, but... <laughs> it really... Man, I don't know. There's so many... here's what I have to say about this one. I I think on this base level, like if I had been watching this over and over and over again, I probably would have in the end found it as offensive as Pocahontas and Mulan in terms of history and characterization, right? So it just didn't get the opportunity to gain any traction because nobody was watching it. Right. Okay. I, I I agree. I got. I mean, I'm with you on that one. Because, I mean, when we come to so, on our show notes, we have this. We have blanks for either one of us to leave notes about the film. It's shockingly blank for this movie, y'all, because there are no notes to be had here <laughs> because there was no plot. I mean. It's almost, it's a very similar plot to All Dogs Go to Heaven. In that there's orphans and gambling Mm -hmm. and 
whatever. But anyway. so that I mean, it's, I'd out... rather my kid watch this movie than all dogs go down. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> Questionable but... Chihuahua portrayal and all. But but I because <laughs> I. I don't know. There is, I suppose, something sort of redeeming here, right? Like, is there? I don't know. I'm legitimately asking. Okay, so let's move on to something lighter. <laughs> What's something lighter we can talk about? I don't know. We could talk about the kidnapping. We could yeah. talk about the... I, Oh my God, Can we talk about how sad it is that poor little Oliver is left in that box by himself? He's the last kitty to I go. I know. And he's this so adorable little terrible. orange kitty. You, oh, I mean, I don't one, think, I think anyone right? would leave him last now with I the... I think orange kitties, at least in my Facebook feed, have gained, and Reddit feeds, have gained a certain notoriety of status. No, orange kitties, black kitties, they're they're mm-hmm. coveted in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so that's unrealistic. Now it is. Five dollars for a box cat in 1988 it felt unrealistic to me then too as i was watching it like are you sure is that what would have happened i don't know even in 1988 <laughs> if we would have been selling box cats yeah, I on know. the sidewalk I, I i was too young to have a recollection of what the um procedure was for extra cats at that time <laughs> without facebook marketplace what did you do with your accident cats again spay and neuter your pets folks yeah <laughs> oh my god this movie i mean and honestly it's fine i i, I come back to my kids enjoyed it because they enjoyed the musical numbers. There's not anything so offensive here that I can say no. They don't you can't use the word this. bimbo like they do in All Dogs Go to Heaven. So immediately it's an okay movie for that alone. Well, and our female dogs here in this film take no shit. Yeah. So and you have Bette Midler. And you have Bette Midler. So. Who really is, I mean, a perfect poodle. Let's be real here. Yeah. Yep. Like, perfect. Spot on. I would agree. <laughs> um, oh, the hot dog cart guy. Yeah. He is, like, so not a Disney animation character. He looks like straight out of like the guy who oh, I know he's got a name and I can't think of it is. The, there's the guy who makes illustrations of the monsters on Hot Rods. I have. Do you know what I'm talking about? No clue what you're okay, talking. It's got about. a name. Well, I'm gonna allow you to look it up now. Because <laughs> really. We're running out of conversations It's to Ed have. Roth. It's Ed Roth who's there. So there's this artist, Ed Roth, and he makes monsters on hot rods. And Let me see if I can... Can you see that? Oh, cool. So, like, 
I feel like at that point in the 80s, there was this animation style that was like gritty and kind of disgusting that you came across a lot with like things like the Cabbage Patch Kids. And so like this hot dog vendor reminds me of that and feels so out of place with the rest of Disney animation. Because so... Disney will animate like gross mean people right but mm-hmm. that's not usually how they do it not like that though i agree <laughs> i think we can talk about the animation for a few minutes because they used a lot of fairly at the time significant techniques to make this movie first of all they did a lot of uh ground shooting so they ran a camera down the street and recorded a bunch of stills Okay. So that they could use those stills to depict New York City from the ground. Because mm-hmm. the view is a little bit different when you are, you know, right. a foot yeah. and a half tall, right? They also used about 12 minutes of what would have been at the time pretty groundbreaking computer animation for the skyline and a lot of the background New York scenes. Mm-hmm. And while I could not find any explicit evidence of this, I am entirely certain they recycled at least four or five dogs from previous films. Oh, as like background characters? As background characters. I'm 100% sure I saw Pongo. I know, um, God, the dog in Lady and the Tramp who sings He's a Tramp, she was in there. Okay. I only get these because I'm watching it on my tiny screen, you know, a foot and a half Mm -hmm. away from my face. And it's Disney. We know they reuse stuff, but I'm just like, oh, I recognize that dog. (laughs) So, speaking of the animation, something sticks out to me in this movie, and it it comes across as very much like an old-style Disney animation movie. Um, Whereas the next movie that comes out, The Little Mermaid, doesn't feel that way to me. Um, And it feels like at this point in time, Disney was kind of straddling that, like, back and forth between what the style of the animation was going to be. Because this feels, like, a little grittier. Um, More in line with, like, what came before it. Um, The Black Cauldron, The Fox and the Hound. It, like, feels of that... um, It feels like it belongs in that bucket. Whereas, after this, you get The Little Mermaid. The Rescuers Down Under, that goes in this bucket. The Little Mermaid starts a new bucket. And in it goes The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. Um, And it's kind of like this is where they were just separating themselves from like that. And I don't know what that difference was. I don't know what, what changed between those movies. So by the time this one was being animated, the last of the nine had retired. Mm hmm So we... I can't speak with certainty about who was left in charge Mm -hmm. when the Nine retired, but there were a number of animators who seemed like the, you know, the torch had been passed. Sure. Clements and Musker, who are responsible for The Little Mermaid and for... Aladdin and on 
Treasure Island are two of those guys. Because this film was not pitched by anyone significant at that gong show, Pete Young, he was just a storyboard artist. And so they gave him, like, some animation authority, but they handed it over to, uh, let's see, George Scribner and Richard Rich. But they fired Richard Rich six months in. So George Scribner, who was all that was left, was largely responsible for previous Hanna-Barbera stuff. That's where he came from. So he did, like, the Transformers and uh, Flintstones and the Smurfs. So we're looking at, I think, just massively different stylistic approaches. Yeah. I think, too, I, I really would like to know um, if there was actually something that changed in the way they handled, like, cel-shaded animation at that time period, though. Because, like, it just feels like such a drastic change to me. Who knows? Because Disney's never gonna yeah. tell, right? Like, mm -hmm. so much of what they do, they keep behind the curtain as, I don't know, proprietary in a way. And yeah. they have always done so. And I... But I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's it's been very detrimental to the industry as a whole. Mm -hmm. It feels like we're constantly reinventing and having to rediscover techniques that are actually decades old. Sure, because they're not sharing that information. Because they're not sharing that information. Mm -hmm. And even now that we're doing it via computer, that it does feel like... And, and who knows now? I mean, the nine are, to the best of my knowledge, all dead at yeah. this point in time. So, so much was lost. And, you know, we're never going to really get to see what it looks like because... I... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, I mean, it's really interesting to me because I think of this movie and I think of myself as being a kid and this movie came out, out in 1988. And then uh -huh. I think of The Little Mermaid and I feel like I was like a young, like I was not like a kid kid. I was like a tween. And it, it just feels like two very different points in time for me, but there's only a, a year difference. But there's only a them. year. For me, it was eight and nine. I remember mm -hmm. both movies very clearly. And I don't know. I, I can't answer if it's because I connected with Ariel. Sure. Or yeah. because the film was just different. But man, or more accessible. The film was more accessible, that one. I, Maybe, Maybe, but longer. So, I mean, 
longer actual story. Like, they did a good job, I feel, with getting story in The Little Mermaid, whereas yeah. this is... Not much of a story. Not much of a story. I, I can't answer the difference, but I can mm-hmm. say that for me, The Little Mermaid was very foundational in my mm-hmm. childhood. Same. And yeah. this was a blip. Yep, I agree. That's exactly it, too. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. What else do we have here? What are we going to talk about? <laughs> that's... That's all you got? That's, that's all she really, wrote? That's, that's it? That's what we it's wrote over. for... It's Man, done. this one's going to be so Can short. Can we talk about Dom DeLuise being in this and All Dogs Go to Heaven? And how he plays, like, very the same similar character? characters in both. <laughs> He's just this... not a dog in this one. And... Here's what I find interesting. How come we animated Dom DeLuise as a tall, skinny guy? Yeah, I know. I, he was a big guy who wore a little hat. <laughs> right? Like, right? Like, I'm not wrong, right? <laughs> and, and, and I'm sure when they... It's obvious in the way that they cast this movie... They were they were looking for natives. They wanted New Yorkers. They wanted yes, the accent. They absolutely, yeah. They That's deliberately hired New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure they had him in mind for at least a part. When they read it, did they not go, oh, we should draw this character like Don DeLuise? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And I feel like it would have worked, and I don't understand it. Um, something else I find interesting about Dom DeLuise and this movie and All Dogs Go to Heaven is that All Dogs Go to Heaven came out in 1989, so we're talking a year after this. Was mm-hmm. this like a case of, what do they call them, the movies that come out when they've been developed and they're like basically the same movie? I don't know that there's a term for them, like but we've Ant talked movie about this. Right. A Bug's Life and... <laughs> Wasn't it Ants and A Bug's Life oh, that maybe. came out at the yeah, same time? Yeah, yeah. I, I was getting Ants and the B-movie confused. But yeah. I... So if that we movie... others. So All Dogs Go to Heaven came out in November 1989, and this movie came out... In November 1988, so there's essentially an exactly a year in between them. Um, I don't think there was probably any overlap in production, although development there probably was. Probably development, although if I'm being honest and had to guess who started first, I'd be willing to bet Bluth started well before. Right? I feel like... so here's what it comes down to. I am 90% sure that Don Bluth was supposed to take over the animator's studio when the nine were gone. And that worked out just fine until Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg showed up. Mm-hmm. Because he left six months later and he took a third of the production crew with him. Right. So, that's what I think, and I think that what they fought over was indeed animation style. Mm -hmm. I think that 
guys like Clements and Musker were able to, if not embrace what Disney wanted, at least do what Disney wanted, while also trying to preserve the stories that they wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. But this one, yeah, this this movie, it's it's fine. It's watchable. The songs are catchy. My kids enjoyed it. I was not very affected by it on a rewatch. And knowing the history really kind of taints it, too. Mm -hmm. All right. Do we have anything else before we wrap up Mm. the last bits here? No, I don't think so. Okay. Would the children do this? Yes. Yes, they would. They would absolutely pick up a cat from the street in the car and go, oh, this is my cat now. Yeah. I mean... That's, would they absolutely see a note in the mail slot and go, oh, I got to go save my cat with my piggy bank? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, they would. That, 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 at least the characterization of Jenny rang true. Yeah. Yep. The rest of it was mostly non-existent, but that one was at least decent. So Mm -hmm. there were, however, no tears. There may have been enough songs. There were not enough tears. <laughs> no tears. No. None. Um, as for age appropriateness, there is, Disney told me so, some tobacco usage. Largely that comes from... Uh, Chuck Schumer. Right. Because <laughs> I'm never going to be able to unsee that. <laughs> I mean, never going to be able to unsee that. Yeah. I'm glad I gave that to you. So, Chuck Schumer, smoking a cigar. But other than that, I mean, there wasn't anything really... The the Dobermans scared my four-year-old. I could see that, yeah. Because he has dog issues. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so, but be, a lot of little kids do. Yeah, so be mindful not... of of that. If they have dog issues, be aware. Otherwise, I I'd say this one's pretty much any age appropriate. Yeah, I would agree. There are no Halloween costumes, but it is a very big Disney bounding thing. Do you know what Disney bounding is? Adults can't dress in costumes and go to the Disney parks. They're not allowed to. So people will, like, just wear everyday clothes that, like, evoke a character. So this movie is really big for that. Um, And there are a couple of, like, pretty good cosplays, particularly of Georgette. Um, But it also appears to be one of those things that furries really like to costume. Oh, I didn't need to know that. So, I'm not shocked in any way, but yeah. oh, I didn't need to know that. But Disney bounding, there's a lot of really cute Disney bounding stuff out there for it. Do you, why, why is it called, do I want to know why it's called Disney bounding? Um, you know, I don't know. It's got to have a name to it. 
Yeah, I know. I'm sure there's some reasoning. But yeah, at some point in time, we'll I'm talk. I'm sure it. you'll you'll look it up, and we'll all be <laughs> able to have that conversation. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, because my executive assistant has informed me that I'm very, very bad about being consistent about rankings, I feel like we've gotten better, but we never ranked Happy Feet. So here we go, Sarah. <laughs> I have to give it at least a three and a half because it is a musical. You're I think once upon a time I said that any musical would get a certain score, but I can't remember what it was. I, I can't I would, remember. If you take the music out of this one, I'd probably give it like a two and a half. I, I come back to my scoring scale, which is very inconsistent, but remains <laughs> as such... Will I be able to watch this movie over and over and over again? And by those standards, no, no, I cannot. This gets like a two. <laughs> Man, please, none of my children fall in love with this movie. Thank God most of them are mostly out of that, watching it on repeat, because mm-hmm. I would die. <laughs> uh, no. This, this, this one, I, I require some plot. It doesn't have to be much. But there needs to be a little bit of a story for Mama to sink her teeth into. (laughs) And all that is here is music. And some rather offensive racial stereotype characterizations (laughs) that I'm looking back on going, hmm, well, that was 1988, wasn't it? Wasn't it? We are on Instagram and Facebook at Latchkey Movies. You can email us, latchkeymovies at gmail.com. You can call and complain at 402-885-4875. I keep telling you all to call and complain, but nobody does. I'm just must saying. mean we're doing good. It must mean <laughs> we're doing okay. It's the complaint line. I don't have any complaints, so... We're going to keep going. We're going to keep on keeping on. So if you like us, then, buy us tacos. You can do that at ko-fi.com slash briar. And we will see you all next time. Have a great day, y'all. Bye. Bye.